We apologize for a few technical problems this morning trying to uh, work out uh, all the connections and get the right distance from the screen. As you know, this is Missionary Day, and uh, at Eastern Camp we have privilege to have uh, a few missions represented in terms of a presentation. Of course, not all of our missions around the world can make it here, but we're thankful to have uh, one from a distant place. As I mentioned earlier this morning, Brother Rex Noy from Ghana. I'm going to call him up uh, in a moment after the introductions and the prayer. We're also going to hear from uh, Edmund Reinhardt on Mexico and Gary Tomic on Papua New Guinea. Before we begin, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we gather together here as a group of campers hungering for your truth, hungering for more of you to make that one thing that we heard about a few evenings, you, Lord Jesus. And we recognize around the world that there are many, many needs. We know that our world is in fear and torment, lost in sin. And this morning, we pray that our eyes would be opened to the needs that are around us, the needs that are across the world, that we would not close our hearts to the needs of our missionaries, the needs of people in countries less fortunate than our own. And Father, we ask for, for forgiveness for too often taking for granted what we have. We pray that we would have hearts that see the harvest that is great. There are young children abandoned on the streets of Brazil. Families that hardly can eat in Africa. Hungry for two things. One for a meal at the end of a day. Hungry for your word. Hungry for some meaning in life. And many of them go on with private pain. And Father, we believe that you have called us. Us as your people. Us as the church to go forward into all the world, you've commanded, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we pray that we could be a small part of that. This morning we pray for the presenters. We pray that your Holy Spirit would cause us all to be able to see a little glimpse of the fields that are white for harvest. Lord, we want to pray for our missionaries. We ask that You'd lift them up when the battle is weary. And Father, we pray that you would help us to often lift them up. Often we're too comfortable here in our country to even be in intercession and prayer. We find that our hearts are distracted. There are so many things attacking our attention, bidding our attention. And we pray, Lord, this morning, you would put our attention on a needy world. We invite your presence and pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. As I mentioned, our first presenter is Brother Rex Noy, Elder Brother Rex Noy from Ghana, Africa. 
He's going to join me here at the podium now. Brother Rex. We want to welcome you to uh, United States and Canada, North America. Yeah, thank you. It's a privilege to have you back. Uh, it's been since 1994 yeah. that he's had a chance to come and visit us here. Yeah. And at this time, I'd like to extend an opportunity for you to extend greetings. I have special greetings for my people in Ghana, Africa. And I will take this uh, opportunity to express my profound gratitude for your prayer support, your financial support. Uh, without these two things, we will be able to reach people in Africa. I would like to share a few things with you. We start mission uh, 30 years ago. This same month we're going to have a 30 years we started. We started. When I came first, I, people doubted, I, doubted that I would go back to my people. Because most of the people, when they come to America, they find it very hard to go back. Because there's no food, no nice houses over there. So when I finished my school, I went back to my people and bring the gospel to them. Most people doesn't know. When they call the name of Jesus Christ, they don't know who is Jesus. Right now, we have the sister churches and 250 preaching points. What I'd like to do is... Uh do a, a back and forth. We, we do have some slides that will cover some of the things that he's talking about. And uh, Brother X, uh, what you could do is maybe um, watch either this screen or yeah. that. And uh, as you see, you can expand on the different slides. Okay. okay. Yeah, just hold the mic. The mission was started 1973, December. And right now, uh, we have sister churches. And, and today, we, have we, are, we are so thankful for the Lord that we have the sister churches and 25, uh, 250 preaching points. And the membership now is 10,000 membership. I mean the believers. And I understand that the uh, increase is not only in the, the capital city of Accra. Yeah. It's mostly the neighboring villages outside. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, this is one of the church. The name was the Korodoko. And you see the youth are now singing and praising the Lord. The capacity is Accra. Right now, the population in Ghana is 20 million. We have so many different languages. And uh, we were ruled by the British. So the English is official language. And we have so many languages, more than 80 languages. It was my privilege to be in Ghana in 1995 to visit the mission. And uh, it's such an eye-opener to see the, uh, 
conditions there, when you land in the capital city, you see a lot of North American or, or developed world conditions, a capital city of two million people. And uh, then within just minutes of the capital city, you're out to Stone Age tribal kind of conditions. It's near the equator, the temperature is very hot. Just to give you a little bit of an understanding, you tend to take a shower in the morning. When you work from a long day, you take another shower before supper, yeah. because it's really, really hot. Oh. And then you work up a sweat one more time, and it's bedtime, and you say, man, I gotta take a shower one more time, just to cool off those few degrees, so that you can perhaps get a good night's sleep. Uh, we establish a medical clinic and credit union. And we find that the most people, when they sick, they go to which doctor for help. So when you wind you you in for the Christ, we ask them to not return back to which doctor for any help. We tell them our God is able to do all things. Just recently, as I was telling the class, uh, uh, one lady had a baby, and they went to the doctor, and they find out the baby has no hand, no ears, no no uh, foot. So he came to one of, the, one of the pastors, they prayed for him. And they went back again, and the same thing. He had been, been to doctor several times. They can't show that the baby has no hand. No. So we were able to pray hard and tell the woman to have confidence in the Lord. And the woman went back the same thing. So he, she made his mind she, go, she won't go back again. By God's grace, when he delivered the baby, he have everything, this complete baby, have a hand and show. So we tell our people that our God is living God. He's able to answer God. We have seen all these things. And also, there's no business over, over there, no food. So we establish credit union. We teach our people how to save, how to trade. In future, they're able to support themselves and the church. And when you say that 55% of Christians, it's not true. And we have a, in Africa, when somebody adopts a Christian name, he called himself Christians. Also, we are two, by, two kinds of Christians. The bond again believers is our 25. 25 believers. And we have a lot of Muslims there. And um, uh, now the Arabs are bringing the money to Ghana. They are establishing the schools and clinics and giving them food. Because of that, young people are going to the Muslims. Muslims uh, radio. Uh, one man here, I don't know whether you know him, it's called uh, Louis Farrakhans. He came to Ghana, brought a lot of uh, these things, uh, dollars to Ghana. They are establishing schools and clinics in order to win. So I'll ask you to pray for her so that we're able to move ahead and tell them about the living God. And spiritual. They said, where which doctors are high? They are performing the miracles. 
and we are mirac miracles. So we tell that God is able to do more than the witch daughter. Uh, because of these things, when we are praising the Lord, it's hard, it's hard for her to stand. Because we have seen the great thing what the Lord is doing. The witch doctors are demonstrated. Somebody can send a snake to come and kill you. You can call your, when he saw you, see you, can call your name, your birthday, tell you what. So we tell our people, once you accept Christ as your personal savior, you are no right to go there. So our God is able to do more than the witch doctors. testimony of what God had done. And it almost was as if I was transported back in time to the time of Jesus and would be able to identify in a much closer sense the kinds of amazing things that happened. And we often wonder, why do those kinds of things happen, it seems like, more in developing countries than here? And I believe there's not one answer to that. But one of the answers is certainly that as the darkness gets darker, power of the enemy shows his face, the power of the gospel has to take on first century kind of power to be able to make a difference. And I have been praying a lot here in North America. I wonder how dark does it have to be for us here in North America as the decay takes place before we begin to take on an early church kind of attitude towards prayer and to turn to the Lord to see his power come. Uh, we have uh, the uh, spirituals, the demonic forces attacking us. I could remember when one day when I was preaching in the one of village, we were telling the people that all these things, rivers and the mountains are not God. So the witch doctors were so mad on me. So they came to us to attack me. So when they come in front of me, and they have the whole uh, sticks and the weapons to destroy the house. So I told them, in the name of Jesus, you have no right to touch me. In fact, God demonstrates mountain power. These witch doctors flew up and fall down and start roaming and started confessing. Could you believe it? This in his followers, all of them have been won to Jesus Christ. They have seen there's a great power than anything else. If I have opportunity and I have a money, big money, I'll buy the, this the big boat and carry all the youth of Americans to Africa. And when they come back to America, they will appreciate what the Lord is doing here for them. Uh, when I come to, I go, I go to Danny Hall. I can see a lot of food, ice cream, different type of food. So people in my country, once a day, they can afford the meal. So I know the Lord has blessed America a lot. And most of them, they appreciate what the Lord is doing for you here. But you come to Africa, you will return the Lord for what the Lord is doing for you here. We don't have a lot of time uh, for spend a full hour we could and just so that you know brother Rex is scheduled Friday afternoon at 1.30 to give a full one hour presentation on Ghana. The needs are great of course they are training up pastors uh, 
ministers to take the gospel to the villages. They need Bibles. They need our prayer support and funds as the Lord would lead. And there is just so much that uh, God wants to continue to do in Africa. And we just pray that all of us that would seek deep in our hearts to see where we can be involved in God's kingdom. Maybe you can't go to Africa, but maybe you can give from the abundance that God has given. Brother Rex shared how they eat one meal a day. When I was there, we went to the downtown once, and as our car pulled up to a particular stop sign, there hobbled a beggar. It was seemed like just out of the Bible, someone who could hardly walk with a cane, in a crippled sense, walked up to the car, tapped on the window. And I rolled down the window, and I looked into these eyes, and I thought, Lord, it's just not fair. We have so much in North America. And yet, so often, we just don't see the needs of the world around us. And so, please come on Friday to learn more about the needs they have a medical clinic that has great needs, and uh, this is a picture of the medical clinic. They are staffed by a doctor, and uh, eyeglasses has been uh, sent from North America. We're hoping to do another eyeglass campaign where you donate used glasses, and this is uh, some pictures of that. We're going to go into a lot more detail on Friday, and uh, we just want to finish with this slide so the other presenters have room to do their topics. Uh, the Ghana mission needs, number one is prayer. Praying around the world for our missionaries. Bibles, of course, uh, we can donate. The funds for the Bibles can often be donated directly to the Bible Societies of North America. And they can pick them up right in Ghana, at the Bible Society in Ghana. They can get a message that says, X amount of money has been donated for Bibles. School materials, and especially, we want to do an appeal for one of the aspects of the gospel that they believe is very important is their school that allows people to even read the Bible, train them up to even have a job. There's so much unemployment. Imagine the, the percentage is over 50% of unemployment. And this mission goal is to actually raise up a school that will be able to train various vocations, but they need our help. There's no way that they can build a school building, train up people to read the Bible and to have a vocation trained like sewing or auto mechanic or something like that. So they're, they're currently building uh, a training school and need our help. So as the Lord leads you, please give this week an earmark it to Ghana if uh, that's what the Lord needs on your heart. Thank you very much indeed. brief because uh, anyone who's truly interested will have a chance this afternoon to get more details. But just to give you a quick sense for those who won't be able to make it what God's doing. 
Um, this is a mission that you probably haven't heard too much about before. You've heard about Mexico, and uh, you've heard about Jose and Kathy Cervantes. They've been here a couple times to Eastern Camp. Kathy is from the Midwest, and she married Jose Cervantes. And they're working in, uh, this, these are a few of their children. They're working up north here in Tecate, right on the border with California, and they have very close relations with the churches there. But uh, Jose's uh, family, down, way down in the deep south here, uh, started to convert. We started a few churches there. The sister church is taking over, um, uh, working with them. And some other children, uh, some other believers went back to their family here in Sonora. Sonora is a state, uh, there's a zoom in here, below Arizona, and uh, down here on uh, the southern part of Sonora, there's a town, small town called San Jose, where um, these people came from and they're coming back to, just like the demoniac, to bring the, the good news back to their own people. Uh, it's uh, just a small farming community, uh, they haven't had rain for about three years, a proper rain. Uh, and so the farms are drawn, they're not able to plant, the uh, cows are dying and it's impoverished. It's 10 blocks by 10 blocks square, and then you come to the center road and it's flat field, as you can see here, of 6,000 people. This is kind of a, give you a sense, you know, wide, dusty roads, people keep their animals in the back, they drive them down the street in the morning. Uh, if they can afford a horse, maybe they'll leave the bicycle. Um, but the, the darkness that we mentioned this morning, um, there's a lot of drug trafficking because there is no other economic possibilities and there's a lot of irresponsibility and Satan really has a hold uh, on the people. So here's an example of a house that looks very nice and see a beautiful cactus garden. And you'll also notice down here in the, um, the right here, there's a, uh, a monument that this father has erected for his son who was shot by a bazooka on the spot. And that was obviously in, in a drug war. <clears throat> um, people across the street, people next to us were dealing drugs, it's, it's common. Another vice that, that, that really has people ensnared there is, is uh, cockfighting, roosters. This, this young brother here, Javier, uh, he's, he's uh, uh, from a very Catholic family, I think 28 priests in his family and seven nuns. And, but he um, had this addiction Friday night. He would get his paycheck, and he would spend all night with his friends uh, in clandestine meetings, betting on cockfighting and raising roosters. And I can tell you interesting stories about roosters, but that'll be this afternoon. So that's one of the vices that ensnares people. But thanks to God, he's been delivered by that and has given away any, all roosters. And another, uh, they, they, people are very Catholic, some 90-some percent. You can see images, large images to the Virgin of Guadalupe statues. Uh, this this uh, man here uh, has uh, in the corner of his uh, farming courtyard uh, his saint of agriculture that he uh, counts on to provide blessings. And uh, that's kind of give you a very brief overview of, of the, uh, the, the place, the culture. Um, the history is that this uh, this older sister here, she, she was a grandmother, her, her daughter Flora uh, had relations with a man who was married to someone else and had 10 kids, and she had 10 kids with him too, and then she abandoned them, and for seven years nobody knew where she was, 
And so the grandmother was raising these uh, seven to ten children, I'm not sure exactly now. And uh, some of them went north to Ducati, where, you know, close to the States, there's money. And uh, came in contact with a church and converted, came back to, to tell the gospel to her. And there was such interest in this town. So the people would just gather. And, and uh, the, the first building here was this mango tree in her yard where the brothers would come down to Tati every two or three months because of the need. And even when it would rain, you know, people wouldn't scatter because they just they wanted to hear the word. And they really felt so convicted by the desperate need, by the cry saying, you know, it's not fair that you have church on Wednesday and on the word of God on Sunday and Saturday. And we only get it every couple of months. And so this young couple, Marcelo and Maria, uh, Marcelo was relatively well off. Um, when I was there five years ago, he was the only one at a two-story home. He was working in a, an American uh, uh, owned factory and he was fairly high up in the management there. He had a decent wage, but they couldn't get away from the conviction that there's such a desperate need here. And they you know, came and said that God's convicting us to go and the, the owner offered him 10 times more money than he's being offered now getting out and uh, all, promotion, all these things, but he's left it behind. And I, I really can see that he's got a heart and for the people down there. And we'll tell you lots more interesting things about Marie and Marcelo and their story this afternoon. It's a very, very inspiring. The way they work um, is uh, through, uh, through personal contact. It's not necessarily, maybe initially through distribution of tracts, but it's really once you know somebody, you say, do you know anybody? And in Mexican culture, you come into, you know, a, their home, which is, you know, typically as a room that's maybe four by six feet, and you pull up a bucket or whatever, and you sit down, and they visit, they just love to spend time with you, and and you open the Bible, they're open to that, and, and, and uh, that's how the word is spreading. Um, for example, on Sundays, they only have one service in the morning, and then the evening, Instead of having a service, everybody goes out and visits either believers or or uh, those that they know and, and spread the gospel that way. The context they've established. Um, then once they've established a certain amount of interest, uh, they offer them to have kind of a discipleship course. Um, Marcelo was telling me and kind of you know complaining that you know he's he's done 15 you know of these personal Bible studies with people and only five of them converted. That's a pretty good, uh, good number. If we got a 30% return on, uh, you know, so the hearts are, are, are more open. Here's on his fridge, he's got a list of his uh, commitments for the week. Every day he's got one or two people that he's, he's discipling. And so the Tuesday that we were, uh, full day, that we, first full day we're there, we were with Cynthia, for example, at four. She's in this small two-room rented. Uh, and, you know, she's a new boot person, you know, asking about, well, my friends say, you know, what's wrong with a cross? And my friends say, why does the music sound like a funeral miniature? <laughs> and, but, you know, she's there going, she's kind of learning uh, and growing, and then uh, later on in the evening, we had one with Elvis, and, you know, I could really see the wisdom of Jose as she went on and on about how complicated her life was and how she couldn't come to the Lord right now, and he came right to the point about her total surrender, and Thankfully, by that Sunday, 
Um, you know, she came to us after the morning service and said there's no more reason for her to wait. She's going to give her heart completely to the Lord. On Friday there, we met with, with Tony. You know, he was a person who was enslaved by drink and his, was destroying his wonderful little young family here. Uh, Alma, his wife, who was one of those granddaughters that we talked about, uh, one, of, of, of Juanita, the first convert. And uh, drink was destroying his marriage. But by God's grace, he was able to get free of that, but he couldn't get free of, of smoking. And so as we, we prayed on the dusty floor, he decided that he was going to go home. Uh, after he decided to go home and burn his cigarettes there in, in the front, like they did in Ephesus, they burned their, their books. Saturday, we did some outreach to some. There, Marcella really has a burden. There's so many more in, in this region who, who, who don't know the Lord. There's a, two little towns we visited and distributed tracts. The, the one town, you know, not even the Catholics have, have uh, come there. Uh, they're just starting to now because the Jehovah Witnesses are there, so they're doing a little catch-up. But there's no, no water, no electricity, and, and these people are really remote and, and, and have no, no knowledge of God. Um, helped a little bit in the music ministry. Um, Marcelo, you know, has a real wonderful heart for God, but as he he plays, he's learning to play guitar and he plays in one key, but he doesn't know how to sing the same key. You know, he sings what he remembers in Takati, so that's why that comment. Of, so we, we, we got him electric organ, uh, but it started smoking after Sunday morning services. I hope it's still working. Um, we got Tony to stop smoking, but the organ. Um, this is uh, in, in the two years that Marcelo's been there. Um, he's a very practical person. We've been doing a lot of building. Um, with uh, he's rebuilt a church building here. This is kind of the, the, the their original farmhouse here. Some brothers from Colorado Springs erected a two-story addition here for some extra bedrooms. The whole town was amazed that they could actually build something in a day. It usually takes them three years, and, and they just stopped to watch in the streets. And uh, then the church building is behind that. And then in the back, there's some fruit trees and then two Sunday school rooms. And uh, they built all that with maybe $5,000 worth of, of, of funds. They've been very careful uh, in, in maximizing that. This is then Sunday morning, the people who, who were there. Unfortunately, there's this... This unbalance of there's a lot of, of women who respond first and we're trying to, to get some, some men to realize their responsibility for God too. And there's lots of wonderful stories here of these people and their unique struggles and their very similar struggles. And I'd love to share them more with you um, this afternoon at 2.30 in Campus Center 105. We'll, we'll tell you a lot of more interesting things, but uh, what we can learn there is that, you know, as was said, the fields truly are white in the harvest. It was just amazing to me, you know, as you show a little bit, you know, of personal love and concern in, in these people's lives, how they respond to the gospel and how, how this, this darkness really does part in the light of, of, of love uh, and uh, truth. And, you know, for them, it was amazing, you know, to see that, you know, they aren't just this isolated group of, you know, six believers in this small town, many thousand miles, that they actually have brothers and sisters here, that they're part of the family, they're part of God's family, as, as was said this morning. That's all.
Thank you, Brother Edmund. While Gary sets up, just have a few announcements. We have a missionary prayer map that's available. If uh, you would like a little tool that you can put perhaps in your bedroom, perhaps on your fridge, perhaps in the place where you spend quiet time with the Lord, that you can pray for the missionaries that we have around the world. This is a map of the world with our missionaries across it. Uh, there's a few copies in the back. And uh, if we run out, uh, please see me and we'll print some more. I had the uh, privilege of traveling to Papua New Guinea for a month. Uh, there was a small work team that went. And uh, just for those of you who don't know where Papua New Guinea is, it's just north of Australia. Uh, it's half of an island. You'll notice here that this side of the island is part of Indonesia called Virian Jaya. And uh, this here is this number of islands that make up Papua New Guinea. Uh, Port Moresby here is the capital. And uh, the church actually, where uh, Vic and Elsie Schlatter felt called back in the uh, early 60s, is up, up here in the highlands, what they call the highlands, mountainous. Um, and uh, the city where we landed in, first we flew into Port Moresby, and then we landed in, uh, in Mendy. This is the, the town of Mendy uh, in Papua New Guinea. The, the unemployment rate here is approximately 85%. Um, you can notice all the people here in the background, they're pretty much standing around. Um, there's some shops here, and of course when they're standing around, when you come there, wow, this is something new. Most, they see very few white people. So they want to find out what's going on, and so they all come and follow you around, you know, wondering what you're doing. So it's kind of interesting when you're going shopping, when we shop for our supplies once a week, I'd walk in there. I was nervous because I had, you know, a, the pouch of money with me. They know you have money, but they're curious as well. So you got, you know, 20 people following you behind you as you're walking down the aisle in the, in the supermarket, and you're wondering, like, are they just curious? Some of them look pretty tough. And so typically what they did is they had some of the believers from Mendy, the Mendy Church, they were like bodyguards in a sense, and they just followed behind, mingled in with the crowd. I actually didn't know some of who they were, but uh, just to make sure everything was went well. Um, the country of Papua New Guinea is one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. This here is the, the drive from Mendy. We drove about three and a half hours to the city of Paya and Hal Hal not city village. Um, so you notice, I mean, this is the highlands. It's very lush. There's a river on every you know, valley floor, rushing river, it rains every day, it's a rainforest there. There's pretty much one road that winds through the hills. Um, this here was a view where we actually stayed. This is from the front porch. Um, this here, there's a church in a village called Shuma. There's a, another small village here called Haha. This is another church and there's another church right behind me. Um, so there's a lot of small churches but they're all over the place. So in a, in a you know a radius of a or a diameter of a mile, there's three churches. Typically, they want to have a church in each village. I'll show you a, a video. Are here? Yeah. 
flowers. Where do you see flowers? This is just after we arrived in, the, in our village of Kaya. This is our house here. And uh, videotaping, most of have never seen a video camera before. So they're all pretty much mobbing and running around, trying to figure out what's going on. They're all excited, the kids. You can see they're dressed very poorly. Um, you know, a lot of the church we wouldn't even use the ranks here. But, uh, you know, this is the, the excitement. This, this here actually is the uh, first Sunday we were there at the church. Um, so the ladies are sitting on this side, they do sit segregated, ladies on one side, women on the other. Um, and we're just being introduced here. Um, we tried to visit a church, a different church each time, just to get to know them a little bit. Fortunately, we didn't really have to travel far because there are so many. But being we were over there, and for weeks, we could only visit a fraction of the, the amount of churches that are actually there. So this here is, they all sit on the floor in church. Uh, the kids typically sit in the front. And uh, it was actually pretty amazing. One time, the brother was preaching, and uh, some of the kids were misbehaving, just like these were sitting on the floor, as kids are. And he stopped halfway through his sermon. He walks down, gives them all a little bot, <laughs> a little smack, and he goes back up and continues right on his sermon. Uh, whoa, nothing has happened here. This, this here is the... This here is the church shop. Um, the church, um, they have a sawmill that they use to you know, build some of the buildings, the church buildings, as well as some of the houses for the missionaries or for some of the church workers. Um, this is here inside the shop, one of the projects that uh, Brother Randy Balser, who traveled with, with us in the group, he made some of the benches and the uh, uh, shelves and stuff. They're going to open up a, a medical clinic, again, because their health care is pretty much non-existent there. I did some electrical work, um, and again, you'll notice that typically you have a whole bunch of people following you wherever you go. Um, it takes a bit to get used to. <laughs> uh, Larry Megacy from the Western Missionary Committee, who also went with us, his specialty is a sawmill. So uh, they bought a brand new sawmill about a year ago, and uh, Larry was there uh, helping them uh, get it back up and running again. They cut the trees down with axe. You can see it's certainly not a chainsaw. They roll down the, the logs to the, uh, the sawmill, and they cut the boards, and part of that goes to the church, and part of it goes to the person who brought the log. Um, the rivers there, I mean, you know, like as I mentioned, there's a lot of rivers. Uh, people use the rivers to wash their clothes, wash themselves. Um, the, uh, the children often bring for a church service. They would go out and pick the wildflowers, and you can see the beautiful colors. Give some of the slides. This year is a, some of the Sunday school children singing, and I'd like to play a video segment of that. Um, just uh, have to forward it for a second. So typically, um, their singing style is very uh, simple. Typically, they sing melody. They either have a guitar or a. Uh, um, they also have some tambourines they sometimes use. But this year is actually, we're just after the, uh, the NEPA church service, we're playing with some of the kids up front. They had, I don't know if anyone had ever seen uh, sunglasses before, and so the kids, yeah, it was actually really cute. Um, but 
Bob, this is a typical bridge that you would cross one of those raging rivers. Uh, it is uh, somewhat scary. Uh, typically, you have to go before you drive across it. You got to make sure the boards are across. So you don't fall into a rut. As you notice, this is the river we were crossing. As you notice that uh, you can get your tire stuck. And of course, as you're walking, you got to be even more careful. Um, again, very lush jungle. Um, this is a typical house that they build. One room house uh, lasts for about five years. They tear it down and build another one. Um, Everybody carries a machete there, including little kids. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I had to get a picture of this. Um, this here was a baptism we attended at the last Sunday we were there. They had uh, typically they have a lot of the local churches. They don't have individual baptisms in their local church. Instead, they have uh, typically once a year, or I'm not sure exactly the frequency. They have a baptism where many of the local churches come together. In this case, there were 106 that were baptized. Um, they give their own testimony to the church, and after the church sees the fruit of repentance, typically a frame, time frame of about a year, they are then included in the baptism. And uh, they have a service beforehand, and then they gather on the hillside. It really reminded me of the Gospels, you know, where, where you know, Jesus is preaching and you know, they're on the hillside. This is really reminded me of that. Uh, they all gather around. This is the river, the Teal River here, and then the, the, the elder brothers uh, baptize the converts. Um, this was here at the Bible School Girls. They also have a, a small Bible school that Timothy and Ruth, and I'll show you later, Timothy and Ruth were here actually two years ago, trying to train some of the, teach some of the girls some life skills, as well as, uh, you know, the, uh, biblical concepts. This is Timothy and Ruth, that, as many remember, and their two children, uh, and there's some relatives. And of course, the two that God called initially to start this ministry, Vic and Elsie, we actually met there, uh, they were on their way in as we were on our way out, and uh, it was a real blessing to be able to spend a little time with uh, both of them and just see how God has really used them. This here is Larry, and that was Randy. Um, just overall, uh, as a quick summary of the needs in Papua New Guinea, um, what they're really lacking there, as, as, as Brother Rex had shared, is vocations. Uh, unemployment rate is so high, most of them, they don't have training. Uh, a lot of things that we take for granted, uh, the practical sense of you know, nutrition and, and cleanliness, how to maintain equipment that they have. They don't understand that engines need oil changes and stuff, and uh, they wonder why it breaks. It's just because they don't have that, that, that training. Um, the clothes, you saw the clothes that they were wearing. The Western Missionary Committee, uh, I believe it's once a year, once or twice a year, sends money and they buy bales of clothes in Australia, which they then ship into Papua New Guinea. It's actually quite interesting to see some of the styles they're wearing. Of course, they have no idea that whatever shirt they get, they put on, and you know, if they have shorts or pants, and you're looking at some of them, wow, that's quite a statement, fashion statement. <laughs> uh, but they're satisfied, they're, they're happy. Uh, medical supplies, we're just opening that medical uh, clinic. Um, biggest thing is overcoming cultural norms. Their parents have done it, their grandparents have done it, that's how we're gonna do it, even though uh, in many cases it's unhealthy, or it's detrimental to their well-being, but they don't realize that and they just continue on the tradition that way. Um, one of the issues I noticed is that they have a lot of people in Sunday school, but a lot of the young people, especially the men, as Brother Edmund shared, I found that very interesting, they just seem to drift off and they don't seem to come back. The, the church is much, uh, there's a lot more ladies in the church than there are men. And uh, so maybe mentoring would be a, a real benefit there. 
Something I really enjoyed or, or noticed in Papua New Guinea is a very strong family unit. They live in their village clans with a lot of relatives there. It's not like here where you know people move with their jobs and you know as, as the statistic was mentioned, uh, many families don't even eat together anymore. That's definitely not the case there. Very practical sermons. I really appreciate the the um, the one brother was talking about lying, and uh, you know it's a little bit more like a Bible class, and the, and the one brother puts up his hand and says, "Well." Do I really have to tell my wife everything? If I told her how much money I had with me, she would spend it anyway. You know, do I need to tell her that? He's like, well, I was like, wow, that's pretty open. <laughs> but what I really noticed is that they were practical. They didn't, you know, hide things. And it was really, I really appreciated that. A lot of small churches. So not, you know, 5,000 believers in one building. So, uh, you know, again, much more family-oriented. So people don't fall through the crack. Still have evangelical outreaches. As you notice, the number of people were baptized. New church planting. I think overall, it has been the most tremendous improvement for the women. Um, literally, 40 years ago, they were hardly treated better than pigs. And um, so it's amazing as I went there today, what a difference has been really to them and how, how the gospel has changed their lives and also changed many of the men's lives. And their lives are so much better today as a result of that. That's all for now. Thank you, Brother Gary. We ask ourselves the question, can we make a difference? And I have a few slides, then I'll just switch over the projector here, of how we can make a difference. The Bible says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my Father's house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, or pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, Malachi 3.10. Many of us are familiar with offerings, and we know what the definition of offerings is, the idea of an appeal goes out, like here at camp, put money in the box at the back, and you give to that offer, and you might earmark it or, or put a note on it, this is for Ghana, this is for Mexico, this is for such and such. The Bible certainly speaks about offerings, but there's another thing in the scripture that we don't speak about that often, and I really feel the Lord has laid it on my heart to share a vision that was shared with the foundation and the missionary committees. And that is the idea that people want to give. Most people, if you, if you poll them, they want to give. But they, on average, don't give reg regularly. There's a tremendous need for our own projects at home, for missionary projects across the world, for consistent, regular giving into the Lord's work. Sadly, if you talk to those that look at the reports from the foundation, consistent, regular giving doesn't happen very often. There's so many sporadic patterns. A mission will get a lot at Christmas time. Why do you think that is? Lots of donations at Christmas time. End of the year tax donation time. People remember, you know what? I'm behind on my giving. 
I better make up for it. And so they give maybe a thousand or two thousand at the end of a year. But what do you think that does for the Lord's work? It's all over the board. It's like cramming for the finals. And it's human nature, but there must be a better way. The Lord gave me the idea that since the Bible instructs regular giving, there's tithing that we can do automatically if we had the tools which we're using. And hence was born the vision of the monthly donation system. And this is not in its fully implemented form. This is a vision that I'm sharing with you. But imagine this, that if all of us in North America can give to gain or to have three goals that are maintained or, or reached by this, to provide an automatic tool or system for God's people to give regularly from their checking account or credit card. Number two is it'll create a more consistent stream of monthly funding into the Lord's work. Number three, it teaches the principle of tithing. How can this work? People could sign up three ways. You could call an 800 toll-free number, give your name, address, and a credit card, and professional staff would answer the phones Monday to Friday. Some of you might say, well, how can we do that? We don't have such a, an organization. But actually, in Canada, I have a, a computer business that mans the phones Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. We have an 800 number. And I've mentioned to the missionary committees that I'd be willing to share that 800 number, fraction of a, an amount now. It's like 50 cents for a 10-minute call to receive a registration. And another method of giving would be a pre-addressed form that you can sign up for a monthly allocation. The Lord would lead you to give $50 a month or $100 a month, a month to a certain cause. You could fill out a form, fax it in, goes into a computer, and every month the computer runs a report and automatically will make that donation happen. The third method, now that we're in the internet age, is a website that links you to the same system. And you can give whatever the Lord puts on your heart. This is something that we're familiar with already. Most of us have been doing pre-authorized payments. Let me just get a, a show of hands. How many of us are having our gas bill or our water bill monthly automatically being paid, or some other form, telephone, raise your hand. About, I would say, a third of the people that are automatically paying some form of bills monthly. This is what I wanted to share with you. Look at what can happen when God's people give a little every month. 500 people at $50 a month would be 25000 every month flowing into the Lord's work. I don't know the exact count we're at, but at roughly at about 3,000 believers um, in North America, or 3,000 apostolic Christians. So 500 is a very small number. Imagine if 1,000 gave $25 a month. On top of that, that's, you've got 500 doing 50, 1,000 doing a lesser amount. Now you've got another 25,000 flowing into the kingdom of God. $50,000 flowing into the work of the kingdom. And that's not a lot of money, if you think about it. $25 a month. We are earning, many of us, between $2,000, some $3,000, $4,000 every month. Teenagers could sign up. Maybe you only have a part-time job, and you can only give $10 a month. 
That would equal, though, if you had enough of them, $2,000 a month. Imagine this, thinking big. If 1,000 believers gave 100 a month, and that is not unrealistic, 100 a month, if you budgeted that into all of what you're doing, in terms of our 10%, the principle of the Old Testament that many of us carrying into the New Testament believe that the Lord lays on heart, our hearts equal to that, and sometimes more. But $100 a month is not money. That is $100,000 every month flowing into the kingdom of God. $1.2 million a year doing the Lord's work. One day in heaven, we might be surprised, just like the song Thank You says, that we meet somebody that says, Friend, you don't know me now, but once a missionary came to your church, and the pictures made you cry, and you didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. And that's why I'm here today. Imagine that, in heaven one day, meeting people whose names we don't know on earth. But it was a certain amount of money that went to Ghana, or Mexico, or Papua New Guinea, that enabled God's work to touch people lost in darkness. In conclusion, let's seriously pray about this vision. I'm going to put a sign-up sheet for an email address for more information on this. There's a tremendous amount that we can talk about more on this topic. Um, time does not allow us this morning to do it. But I'm going to have an email address and a, a little sign-up sheet that you'll be able to see at the back of Lehman Auditorium throughout this week. It's not there right now. But I, I want you to consider at least signing up to say, you know what, I'd like to hear more. I'd like to hear how it'll work. You know, there's a lot of questions that you might have that can be answered in a questions and answers email. More information being <coughs> sent out there. Like, what if my circumstances change and I can no longer give 100 a month? Can I switch it somehow? And the answer is, of course, yes. And we'll be able to answer these questions. So it's my prayer that God's people would be mobilized this week to give that the Lord's work would be further in these countries. Let's bow our head to dismiss with a word of prayer. Father, our hearts are touched as we see the faces of little children from Papua New Guinea. We see needy families in Mexico. And we see the people of Ghana. And we know that there are so many other places in Brazil, abandoned orphans. And Father, our hearts go out to a needy world. And we ask that you would help us to not stand idle as your people that we would open up our hearts to see the world the way you see it. Every person, we sing the song, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in your sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. We know you do. You know that you loved us. And you've given us so much in this country. We pray, Father, that we could help make a difference. We pray that you'd open up our hearts, that even this week, that we would not leave this place before getting a little envelope to remind us that I want to give 
Forgive us, Father, when we're too busy not to give to the need of brethren around the world. Dismiss us now, and we pray for your continued presence this week. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.